The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Thank you so much for joining us today. As we continue as a church to just walk through the Gospel of Luke, we've come off two weeks now in the 15th chapter towards the end of it as Jesus has responded to some Pharisees, religious leaders, who were questioning the people that he was hanging out with. So instead of just coming right back at them, he goes, let me tell you a story about uh, a few things. First of all, there was this lost sheep. When it was found, all of the people rejoiced. When someone who is lost and far from God, when they're found, that's the same thing that happens in heaven. Then there's a coin. When when the person who loses that coin finds it, they rejoice. The same thing happens in heaven when someone who's lost is found. And then last week, we saw the third and final parable of this section. And Jesus says, you know what? Sometimes it's a person who's lost. And it's the prodigal son who wanders off, squanders everything, everything that the father had given him. But when that child realizes his mistake and comes back to the father, the father rejoices. And so we see in those three stories how God himself, God the Father, and even heaven rejoice when something that is lost is found. And I think many of you last week, you may have identified with that prodigal son. You're someone who had a season of of disobedience. You had a season of just kind of wildness in your life, and you wondered, would, would God ever be able to take you back after doing whatever it was that you did? And you had the speech memorized, right? The same speech from last week of the prodigal son, um, God, I, I'm no longer deserving to be your child, but if you could just let me come back as maybe a servant, something like that, just if, if I could come back, I, I want to be with you And we saw how God the Father responds at the end of last week. He threw his arms around this prodigal son, this one who went and squandered everything, who made the worst mistakes you can possibly make. He throws his arms around that child, says, bring this one the best robe in the house, put a ring on his finger, let's have a celebration because my child, who I thought was gone and dead, is now alive and is right here. And we see how God responds to the lost. The religious leaders, nah, not so much. They just judged people. And Jesus wanted them to see exactly how the father worked. But if you remember from last week, there were actually two sons in the parable. It was the younger son who became the prodigal, who went and squandered everything, who told his father, literally, you're dead to me. Give me my inheritance now. It was the younger son who did that. But there was an older son in the parable. And today we will pick up and we'll look at how he responds. So maybe you identified with the younger son last week. It would not shock me at all if many more of you actually identify with the older son this week. As we finish out the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, I want you to see that there's another side to this story. And and so we'll just We'll dive in. It's Luke chapter 15. Let's start with verses 25 through 27. It says this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. So while a celebration is happening because the prodigal son has returned, the older one's out there keeping the family farm going. He's doing exactly what he's been doing the whole time the younger son was gone. He was out in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. I don't know if it's a Tuesday, but let's just 
let's just assume it's a Tuesday afternoon, and he hears music and dancing, and there was no party planned. He wonders what's going on. So he goes, hey, hey, Philip, come over here real quick. Verse 26. So he called one of the servants, and he asked him, what's going on? Verse 27. Your brother has come. Your brother's returned. He's here, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. If you're picturing this as the older son, you're out keeping everything going, you come up on a party, and then you find out the reason for the party is because your brother, who you thought was long gone, never going to see him again, he's come back. The brother who needs to pay his penance, right? Who needs to come back exactly how he did. Humble, I'll just be your servant. But instead of him being ostracized, instead of him being belittled, instead of you being brought in to tell him exactly what you think, you show up to a party, a feast, that calf that you were saving for the next large religious festival, the, the next big celebration, that, that calf that you probably were responsible for feeding is now being butchered and given to that guy, the younger brother? Come on. There's no way this is happening. That older brother becomes very frustrated. Luke chapter 15, verses 28 through 30. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Every time I read this, I, I think of like a man becoming similar to a 13-year-old emotional boy. Okay? I'm not going in there. I understand there's a party, but I refuse to go. So his father went out to him and pleaded with him. I, I want you to see that just as the father went to the younger son, when he returned, the father went to the older son. The father cares equally for his children. Verse 29 but he answered his father, look. Okay, that's an interesting phrase, actually, in the Greek. It means, I need you to know this. So this is a son speaking to the father, and he's saying, I need you to know what I'm about to say. Look, all these years, I've been slaving for you, and I've never once disobeyed your orders. It's completely impossible for someone to be perfect. But by comparison, in the eyes of the older brother, he's been a whole lot better than the dude wearing the nice robe, sitting at the table, eating the fattened calf. He's done it much better in his eyes. I've never disobeyed your orders, but you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I never got a party. I've been working every day here. I'm the good one. <laughs> Come on. I'm the good one. And you're celebrating him? The one who told you to go die? The one who stole my inheritance? And then you put that robe on him? He never even gave me a goat. And it sounds so funny to us. But he's just mad. He's angry. I, I hope you can see this. Verse 30. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Older brother's just lobbing grenades now. He doesn't know where the younger brother's been. But in the first century in Palestine, there are three types of people you don't hang out with. You don't hang out with sinners. don't hang out with tax collectors. You don't hang out with prostitutes. So he throws that grenade just assuming that's what the younger brother did. He's been hanging out with prostitutes 
and yet you're celebrating him. Yet you're embracing him. Yet you're wrapping your arms around him. Now, remember, this is a parable. So Jesus is telling the story to the religious leaders who are accusing him of the exact same thing, of hanging out with sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes. And he's telling them how much God loves those people that they think you're not supposed to be around. The younger brother is, or the older brother is very, very, very upset. But the father responds. Luke chapter 15, verses 31, 32. My son, a warm embrace. My child, my son, the father said, you are always with me. You've, you've never left my side. That is correct. And everything I have is yours. Nothing that you're working so hard for will not be yours. You, you, the blessing is still upon you. But we had to celebrate today. We had to be glad because this brother of yours, the one you're so upset at right now, this brother of yours, part of the family, he was dead. And now he's alive again. He was lost. Now he's found. God is saying, and I want you to understand this very clearly, God is saying that all of his children are equally loved. And we know this because God's love for his children, his creation, is unconditional. We talked about this last week, and I even said this last week, but I want to say it again. Um, you can't do anything to make God love you less, and you can't do anything to make God love you more. Both those statements are very true. And for the prodigal son, the younger son, he believed that what he'd done would cause his father to love him less. And the father said, no, no, no. Oh, you were dead and now you're alive. I, I, I cannot love you any more, any less than I do now. For the one who squandered it, for the one who sinned, for the one who did the unthinkable, there's no less love. But also for the perfect child, the older son, who's always been there, faithful, reliable, obedient, the moralistically upright, the church every Sunday and Wednesday night. He is no more loved by God than the younger brother. We have to get this through our heads because far too often we categorize sin and think, well, that person can't be loved by God as much as that person just look at their lives. But his love is unconditional. It just doesn't work that way. Yet there's a problem. There's a problem with the church. Oftentimes, spoken for by the older brother type, those seem to be the more vocal people for the church. It has caused the church to be known for what it's against and not what it's for. You've heard me say this. We, we need to be known for what we're for, and we're for people because God is for people. We, we love because God loves. We need to be known for what we're for, not what we're against. And that's what Jesus has been teaching us these last three weeks through these parables that the Father... Our Father in heaven, his Father is for the sinner, is for the lost, and is still also for the older brother. 
God doesn't compartmentalize. God doesn't compare. And by comparison, this younger brother should not be given the same love, grace, blessing. But he is. And the older brother's very upset about that. And I resonate. I resonate because I was the older brother. I came to know the Lord my freshman year of high school. And so I spent high school literally not going to the party. Literally not going because I was told that that's what the good church guy does. You, you, you don't go to the party. And I did that. And then I judged those who did. And it took a long time for me to realize that all I accomplished by being the older brother in that moment was I missed out on a lot of great opportunities and a lot of great relationships. Because you can go to the party and not sin. It's actually pretty easy to do. But the older brother looks at those who are at the party and judges from afar and says, I won't go. I won't be a part of that. The church is full of older brothers. They're still children of God, afforded every grace given and every blessing that the Father wants to pour out upon them. But by comparison to the younger brother, the older brother thinks they deserve more. They deserve more because I've never disobeyed like them. I've never done that. We've categorized sin as the older brother lobbed the prostitute grenade out. Today, what the older brother would say is something like this. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm, I'm not a drug addict. I, I've never been in a homosexual relationship. I've never done that. Not an adulterer. The older brother throws out those hot topic sins. But in the end... Those are just the things the older brother doesn't struggle with while the older brother is still absolutely a sinner. And the only way I was saved from being the older brother was I realized in my judgment how evil I was just in private. How sinful and broken and in need of a savior I was. I just didn't do a few things that made me look good to my church friends. The church is full of older brothers who are just crippling people by saying, yeah, you, you were with a prostitute. So you can't be worthy of the Father's love. And that's what he said. Today, because of a landmark decision by our Supreme Court, abortion is a bigger topic than it really has been in a long time. It's a very important topic that I think the church has to talk about. But we got to be careful in our conversations about abortion and women's rights, pro-life, pro-choice. We've got to be very careful as a church not to address it as the older brother. We've got to be very careful to make sure that we don't make that one of those hot topic sins that if you've done that, huh, 
because I need to say this with absolute certainty. Me personally and Summit Church, we are pro-life. But that doesn't just mean we are anti-pro-choice. That means we are pro-abundant life. John 10.10, abundant life. Where Jesus says, the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy, but I have come to give life and life to the full. Abundant life. We, we are pro-abundant life as a church. From the moment of conception until the grave, we are pro-abundant life, and we will fight for the hurting and the marginalized and the unborn and the starving, the sinner and the saint. We will fight for them equally because they are created in the image of God. They are bearers of his image. They have a soul which separates mankind from all of the rest of creation, all the other animals that makes us special, and it means that life must be fought for, but not from the stance of the older brother. Not from a judgmental stance saying, that's the one thing I've never done, and if you've done it, then I don't know that you can be part of my party. I wonder, church, how much more successful we would be in our mission if instead of just shouting what we're against, we started stepping into people's messes, into their life, and we started wrapping our arms around them. And even if we want to compare and think, I'm better than you, saying God loves you just the same. I wonder what would happen if the church really started to do that. And I want to introduce you today to a friend of mine named Stephanie, who, she has a story that I think if we listen to it, we will see that the church is called not to judge, not to be against things, but to be for people, to be for life, abundant life, and sometimes we just need to be there. Um, my name is Stephanie Wigington. Um, I live here in Norman. I was originally from North Texas, grew up down there, moved here about five and a half years ago. I grew up in church all of my life. I go to Timber Creek Fellowship in Norman and I serve on the uh, worship team and lead worship as well as now the prayer team. So you're here because we are wanting to understand how the church can help women who have found themselves in very impossible situations facing abortion, and that is your story. Can you just tell us a little bit about how that came to be part of your story? So I got married at a very young age back in 2005. I was 22, um, ended up, we got divorced towards the end of 2008 because it just, there were some things that came up and it just didn't work out. So um, from that, I just kind of, the next several years, I was in just a downward spiral of just self-destructive behavior because I was just angry and resentful and bitter. Um, so in and out of relationships, alcohol, sex in those relationships was just, there were band-aids. There were ways to cope. I was in two relationships back to back and in January of 2010, realized that I was pregnant. 
and I just kind of freaked out because financially I was in no way. I was living back home with my parents, going to school, working a few jobs. And I was just fearful of disappointing them. The guy that I was dating wasn't in the best place. It was a very codependent, unhealthy relationship. There was just a lot of verbal and emotional abuse there. And I freaked out. I told him I was pregnant and I thought that we were gonna try and work this out together and things got really bad between us. And so I made the decision to have an abortion. <sighs> Another year passed of me just reeling from that. And I got into another relationship. And again, January found myself pregnant. And he had made it very clear that he just wasn't in a place where he wanted to be with anybody with kids. And I was so afraid of being alone, of struggling through that, of thinking here I am again, having to do this by myself. And so I made the decision to have another abortion. And I harbored, I kept the, the, those things a secret for almost three years. And I was at Watermark Community Church at the porch one night and they had handed out some postcards during the service. And thought it was post-abortion recovery and care program. I finally got the courage to email the facilitators and they reached back out, sent me a questionnaire and did some follow-up uh, phone call. And so in March of 2013, I started the program. And at the end, the week before, we finished the program was right before Memorial Day of 2013. My dad and I had taken a Harley trip down to Fredericksburg and I had prayed with my facilitators. I'm like, okay, God, if it's the time to share my story with him, facilitate that. And he surely did. And I'll never forget after sharing my story in our little cabin that we were staying in across from each other on our separate beds. He just sat so calmly and he had a tear rolling down his cheek. And he, when I told him what had happened, he said, I know. And for a year and a half, he said, I wanted to just hug you and hold you and ask you if you needed anything. But he said, the Holy Spirit told me she has to want to seek healing. She has to want to come back to me. I walked through another, a year of like a 12 step recovery in Christ program through Watermark. Then I got moved up here and got really plugged into church and, and singing and serving and doing what I could. And over this last year, I've just, I've seen God just move in my life and experience him in such a way. He has catapulted me into being a, a lead worshiper in the worship team and now being part of a prayer team. And now I get to serve on the weekend after hours hotline for the pro-life pregnancy clinic, eating clinic and helping women choose life or women that have had abortions and are looking to find healing because they just don't know where to turn, so. In 2010, you were not a part of Watermark. You were not, you were, you were in it. If someone had come up to you and wrapped their arms around you and said, I'll walk through this with you. What would you have wanted them to say in that moment? I would have just simply wanted them to be not judgmental, just, just there, be present be gracious whether they understood it or not no matter what their feeling was is and just say how how can i help you what what can i do to make this easier for you to tell your story how can i provide for you i mean having a church linked into resources being linked to a pro-life pregnancy clinic saying hey we've got people we've got counselors we've got women who've walked through this let me point you in that direction to the woman 
watching this video that has traveled the same path you have. What's your message to her? My message is you're not alone. I can promise you, you're not alone. The work is hard. That first step of saying you need help is hard. But I can promise you, honey, you are not alone. There is somebody in the church that has walked that road just like you. God loves you. You're not alone. And if you surrender to him, he's going to change your life. And just like he turned my mess into a message, he can do the same for you. I met Stephanie at the Eden Clinic fundraiser. That's a pregnancy center in Norman and Midwest City that, that we loosely affiliate with and that fights for the lives of the unborn. Um, I emceed their gala for two years. I met her there and I, I got to hear that story. And I wanted you to hear her story because I believe that as a church, we need to be for all people. We need to be pro-abundant life. And maybe today, maybe today you're sitting here going, I just heard that story and you're, you're crushed that I want you to know that we as a church are here for you. If that is your story, if the story she just shared is your story, not only does Stephanie want to help, but we as a church are here to love and to help. We want to try and start a post-abortion care ministry for those who had to go through and choose the unthinkable. But we also, we also want to address the person in the room today that needs to hear this message and realize you're not perfect. The older brother needs to humble themselves and realize that it is by the grace of God that you're part of the family. It's not because of what you've done. It's not because you're better than anyone else. It's because God loves you unconditionally. God loves the person who had the abortion. God loves the person who has been to church every Sunday for their entire life equally and more than we can ever know. So today as we close, I just want you to look around your world and your life. And if you need to hear God's love for you today, I pray you hear that message in the most profound and life-changing way. If you need to hear today that God loves someone else, someone that you feel like isn't possibly loved by God as much as you, they are. And we need to start being people who love as God loves. Unconditionally, our community, knowing that abundant life, pro-abundant life, comes through knowing Jesus Christ. That's who came to bring that abundant life. And that's who we today need to place our hope, our trust in. That's who we today need to obey in. And that's who we today pray to, asking him to come and pour out all of his favor and all of his blessing and all of his grace upon us, the ones that he made in his image and loves unconditionally. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the hope that the younger brother and older brother have in you. 
We need you more than anything else. Without you, we have nothing. So come today, Jesus, and move in our midst. Move in our lives. Allow us to place our faith and our trust in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.